Welcome to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. My guest this episode is a man who grew up in northern India, where in his region of two million people, there were just 20 families following Christ. He's pioneered a movement of 62,000 churches, hundreds of thousands of people, and tens of thousands of leaders across central and northern India. His name is Roderick Gilbert. So I was born and raised in northern India, totally unreached, uh, having less than half a percent of Christians in the region. My entire district had over 2 million people with 20 Christian families in it. But uh, I was fortunate to have God-fearing mom who raised all six of us in the fear of the Lord, me being the last one, the communion with the Holy Spirit and regular meditation on the word of God have been two most major elements of my life that I stay with every day. I went around in the slums and uh, as as probably dressed as I went with one or two of my friends or visitors, whoever I had with me, um, people in the slums would just crowd around, sir, who are you? What are you doing here? They would obviously perceive us as government authority or whatever, or uh, officials trying to find out a survey because nobody else would have anything to do with, to do with the people living in slums. But uh, I would say uh, one thing that got God told me very plain and open. That was uh, Luke 4.18, the manifesto of Jesus Christ himself. The Spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me to uh, uh, preach the good news to poor, set the captives free, and bring bring deliverance to the captives. So I decided very early on that when I go to slum, I'm not going with any supply, any humanitarian work. I just walk as a man of God with my Bible and that's it. I have nothing else with me. Because it is word of God, good news, that is required for poor, not resources. The word of God will set them from the captivity and then they will, they will have abundance of resources anyway. Because it's demonic captivity which is, which is blocking their blessings God has for them. So, uh, people just got around and uh, uh, we would just uh, teach them some songs, gospel songs, and sing with them. And then uh, as, as we sing, a lot, lot more people will just crowd around. And uh, then uh, I would go on preaching the word of God and asking if anybody wanted prayer. would just pray right there and people were healed. And as soon as they were healed, they just would run back and bring more and more people. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, I stepped into a slum and stayed there for longer than a week because the people were coming in all the time, day and night, day and night. The streets were full and people were coming. But uh, I always counted that as a start, beginning of the work of God. Uh, that was only entry gate. You don't stay at the entrance when you enter the city. You need to get in. So I would go back and uh, often I would go back all the time and uh, just reach out to the same people, spend time with them, share the word more deeper, draw them to repentance, draw them to come away from sin, draw them to come under the 
submission to God and receive Christ, and people would come in repentance, teach worship, preach the word of God, and uh, disciple them this way initially. And uh, ve- since very beginning, uh, I would be on the look out to see who is a potential leader. And uh, I would use this individual, this person, to go call everybody, assemble everybody, or do things when I was not there, whatever. So I would always use them uh, since very beginning and have them bring others. I wouldn't go from house to house and bring them, gather them together. I would just stay in one house. They were the ones that did the things. So uh, this is how leaders were raised. But if I have uh, two, three minutes, I would like to narrate uh, one testimony. Uh, which really got me into uh, committing my life to raise leaders and pour myself into them. And we were already in several slums. We had no money, no resources. I had no organization, no support or anything. But uh, we had people in hundreds in every place. Wherever I would go, there would be crowds of people crowding around and we would spend hours together ministering. And uh, there was great joy. One day, I was fasting with uh, about 20, 30 people, most of them being women and teenagers. So one teenager boy, he said, why should we, why don't we plan a big evangelistic crusade? If God can heal people in uh, hundreds, he can also heal in thousands. So everybody claps, say, no, let's do that, let's do it. And I already had in my mind region is in western part of Delhi, I was praying for. I said, okay, if you guys have faith, let's do it. So they said, where should we do it? So I said, that's and we can plan. So, okay, let's do that. So I had a friend that lived in that region, a Christian. He was engineer. He had a, a three-room house. So I, I, now I take this team next day and go there, meet him. I said, we are here for evangelism. Oh, really, brother, wonderful. God bless you, go ahead. And uh, he said, we'll cook food for you and everything. I said, no, we're fasting, but can we stay here? Oh yeah, of course, he opened his home. So now the whole team in two threes goes out to arrange. They arrange for a, uh, for a land, piece of land, which was government land. And they organized this, okay, let's do it here. And they they got uh, some small amenities. They had a wire. They ran from the uh, from some pole for electricity. I had a 30-watt piece. Uh, that's all I had. So they set up the 30-watt peer system. We had no musical instrument, just the tamarind. They went from home to home. They said, we... We have our leader. He's going to preach the word of God. God is going to speak to you people. Right. And he's going to heal you. And I was just sitting in prayer. They were going out, publicizing, sending the word for people to come, assemble at five o'clock in the ground. Thankfully, I did not know what they were announcing. They were saying, you see, great miracles are going to be performed. If you don't have eyes in your socket, they'll pop up on. <laughs> if, you, if you have a shortened leg, it will grow. If you have a cut hand, it will grow back. 
I'm so thankful I wasn't hearing what they were saying. But lo and behold, when I get there, I was so astonished to see about 700 people. And uh, uh, we sang one or two songs and I just began to preach the word and, and began to pray for people, manifest the uh, words of Holy Spirit. People are began, beginning to be healed. And uh, great enthusiasm began. Second day, about 5,000 people turned. It was, it was crowd. And uh, everything was happening. I want to point to one, uh, I want to bring the conversation to one or two points. When great things were happening, the Lord shows me a woman. I asked her to rise, come forward. She came forward. I had the word. I knew what was wrong with her. I told her sister, your whole, your whole body, your whole body is aching and your fever and uh, you can barely hold. She said, yes, that's right. Said, okay, I'm going to pray and you will be healed. I lay hands and pray for her and bring microphone to her, say, are you healed? She said, no. Oh, everybody, like, brrr, everybody began to talk. I was astonished to see how little it takes for Satan to be able to steal away the faith. So I didn't know what to do. I said, okay, let's look to the Lord and worship. I began to sing and lead and singing, lead people to sing after me, uh, a Christian Hindi bhajan. And in one or two minutes, the Lord shows me the problem. I said, okay, let's stop. I asked her, do you have any amulets and charms given by witch doctors? She said, yeah, I have it. She reaches out to her neck in the blouse and brings out, plucks and throws. She had a couple, she just plucked and threw and began to scream, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, Jesus, heal me. And lo and behold, entire audience was in applause. They were clapping, shouting, and everyone, I didn't say a word about it. Everyone began to reach out to their charms and amulets, pull out and throw. Women began to chew the thread on the neck of their children, pluck, out, pluck it out and throw. We collected two bags full after the fact. Now, here's the climax. I come back home that night. I felt very strong anointing of Holy Spirit. Just worshiped the Lord and slept. Next morning when I take my Bible and uh, walk in the presence of God to spend time, I did not feel God at all. I don't know if you are familiar with those times when you, you feel zero presence of God. I felt zero God. I tried to worship him, tried to praise him, no connection. I tried to open Bible, read, try to meditate. It was just words, empty. The presence of God as if I don't know God. And uh, spend about half an hour, 45 minutes, I was struggling so bad. I told my wife, just ignore me. I'm spending time with the Lord. She was familiar with this. And uh, I just shut my door on the inside, kneel down and cry out to the Lord. Lord, I need, please show me my sin, where I have fallen. Uh, I'm willing to repent. But, but please, I need your love. I need your presence. I was praying and praying and praying without 
any realization of his presence i was still praying i was so desperate i was afraid if i have a spirit of god in some way and uh, i don't know how long i went maybe an hour or so all of a sudden i feel like the lord was pausing me with a question i almost not audible but very clearly i asked them, i hear the lord question me i can use you for rest of your life just like last night or i can use you as a leader who pours himself into the army that i can use that oh now i know what the lord wanted me to said lord i select the option to from today on till i live i'll do everything that i can do to pour myself into the others that you can use my life is about raising an army that god can use spiritual army and uh, all of a sudden the presence of god was back i was i was with stronger anointing and uh, then i took more fasting i prepared more notes very seriously i did bible study prepared notes read read bible books and uh, spent time with leaders and people that knew the word better and uh, i tried to uh, learn and tried to uh, create notes went into the slums and uh, i bought notebooks and pens for the people and began to teach them teach them the word of god teach in detail is is not like th- these are slum people naive and ignorant ignorant you just hold your bible in hand and go ahead saying anything you like to no i felt every moment i had with them was a time of high premium and i need i need to give them give my best so i tried to do that my life all my life uh, until now until now I, what i was doing was i was ministering to the corporate groups and uh, i had people that would assist me but the shift was from there to teach and empower and enable my people to do this thing and once in a while whenever there was uh, a need or an opportunity i would still stand in public and minister the word very quickly i began to see uh, the small groups established all over delhi and i began to see the water level of christian maturity rise all over almost at the same time and uh, i began to see the multiplication all over i continued to raise new leaders and train them impart to them and call them back my experience is you need to first actually it begins with lots of prayer lots of passion to raise leaders that should be the uh, fundamental of your vision i just want to see huge army raised by god not people talk about great commission but christ actually gave two commands one was great commission of course to make disciples another was to raise leaders harvest force pray to the master of the harvest so what we need to do is we need to really have a movement of prayer for harvesters 
and raise them. Raising leader is primary thing. A lot of people don't think about it and don't even focus on raising leader. Raising leader is actually uh, a required attempt like Barnabas did to Paul. Saul did not become Apostle Paul just by default of his experience at the horseback. It actually took a Barnabas who really poured himself into the life of Saul. When church rejected him, he came in between, he bridged the gap, he brought Saul to his house, he mentored him, he risked his life, he risked his family. He, he took huge risk. He went to Tarsus to look for him to, in order to be able to disciple him. He faced heat for him. He protected him. And then he turned over his platform to him. There, there's a whole teaching on Barnabas that we give. You just don't see, you just don't imagine raising leaders and next day wake up on the right side of your bed and see a lot of leader, leaders in place so you can go train. No, most of the training programs suffer from lack of subscribers. You have a training program, but nobody wants to be trained. So that's because you don't focus on raising. Raising leadership is an intentional effort that should spearhead almost any attempt of chess planning movement. After raising, you need to train. Training is different from teaching. Most people don't understand this. Teaching is just dissemination of information. This is where Western world fails. When a Western mentor sits with people in a room and teaches, he disseminates all the knowledge he has to his people. And when they know all that he knows, he is happy. That is taken as training, but that's not training. It's actually teaching. It's almost like giving a class for driving a car in a classroom. But then the person is not capable to hold a key, go out and just start a car and drive on the road after he has taken all the lessons. So training is different from teaching. We focus on training. And uh, then impartation for me is, is a very, very, uh, I would say, uh, strategic or significant part of the training. Most people don't understand what impartation is. Actually, Christ in Luke 10, 1 said, he, he, in Luke 1, 9, he gave all the power and all authority. It was his own power, his own authority. In Luke 10, 1, he sent them to the villages he was supposed to go himself. So the task we have, the commission we have, is as important as Christ himself would have done it. But he lets us do. So we reap our, uh, our reward. We have a privilege. We are privileged with the opportunity to be able to serve Christ. It's huge. It's his task. And he gives his authority. Right there, the impartation begins. But impartation is seen all over, like, Elijah's impartation came on Elisha. And uh, Paul says, uh, he tells Timothy, do not be ignorant of the gifts that you have received by laying hands on the elders. 
So one man, you can impart the gifts you have on me through prayer. You can lay hands on me and pray. And without even teaching, I can have those spiritual gifts that you have. It is possible. We call this impartation. Impartation of gifts and impartation of anointing. An impartation of power. And then you don't stop there. For leadership, you need to do ongoing equip- equipping. We see Paul, we see uh, Peter, we see all these apostles writing epistles, sending epistles, making journeys after journey, missionary journeys. And one huge exercise which, is, uh, which we only read between the line in New Testament is these apostles had messengers they trained and sent to the, the churches. So they actually reached out over and over again. They reached out to the elders they had appointed over and over again. Uh, is different from today's uh, corporate style organizational management where you bring people in an institution, teach them and give them a certificate, expect them to carry out the job. It doesn't happen that way. It's a matter of a spiritual warfare. If you, are, if you are handling 100 people, you're fighting enough demons that had kept 100 people in bondage. If you're dealing with 1,000 people, you are in warfare with enough demons, enough demon, demon, demonic forces that, were captivate, that had captivated 1,000 people. So larger the segment you are leading. You are actually in warfare with enough demonic spirits that had captivated that many people and are trying to take them back away from faith. So spiritual warfare is very intense. And these leaders, when they are released to go into the harvest field, they are going straight into the uh, warfare situation. They need to be brought back, mentored, they need to be ministered with fresh manna from the word and the spirit. Taught and ministered and sent back. I call that ongoing equipping. So my ministry is 100% of, from raising to, to ongoing equipping. Mm-hmm. We have over 60,000 now. 60,000 leaders. Leaders. And um, how many uh, groups and churches have have uh, you know come out of the ministry? We have we have crossed across sixty two thousand mm. with over seven hundred baptized disciples. Right. And uh, Roderick, is it just throughout the slums in Delhi, or has the movement spread to other places? Uh, it. It just snowballed and bounced off Delhi, and now it's, in, uh, it's operating in 11 states, uh, mostly in rural areas and slums and cities. I do not worry about this movement anymore. Two years ago, we celebrated our uh, 25th anniversary, and uh, I have given charge of uh, organizational leadership to my team, 100%. So I'm almost 100% out of uh, day-to-day management. I'm not on the driving seat anymore. 
the team that I have raised have taken over the movement. Actually, I'm ready to go home right now. Uh, thankfully, my wife is not hearing. Uh, the next level is, for many years, I have always questioned the Lord, what he has had me to do. So the progression of my calling has been salvation of souls. From salvation to church plant, have church planting movement, and uh, church planting movement by multiplying disciples. We don't call discipleship. We call multiplying disciples. From multiplying disciples, uh, okay, it was great commission, they should multiply. Then at one point of time, I, I was asking, Lord, what is the point? What do you mean? Why do you want every Christian to be obedient of your commission? What if every Christian begins to obey your commission? What would be, what, where do you want the church to actually end? Then something that struck my heart was Matthew 24, 14. It was several years ago, like 14 years ago or so. The Lord asked me a question. What is holding my return using that scripture? And I began to see clearly what was holding the return of Christ was the gospel of kingdom being preached in the whole world. That's one segment. It's geographical segment. As a testimony in all nations, nations are ethnic segment. For instance, Australia is one geopolitical segment, but it is layered with many ethnicities. Ethnically, there are many Australians, many Australians. So to say, India has 4,635 ethnic communities. So from that standpoint, geopolitical India is the land within the borders, international borders, but ethnic India is 4,635 Indias. Every ethnic India needs to have testimony. To have testimony, nations testify means having church, mourning in Christians. So if I would want to understand Matthew 24, 14, that says globally, one at the same time, entire globe needs to have the gospel of the kingdom and every ethnic community have sample of kingdom in them, not 100%. Kingdom needs to be sampled in every ethnic community on the entire planet at the same time, then Christ will come in and look. I'm not worried about India because what I have shared about my own testimony is just a very tiny drop in the bucket. God is doing way much more in the land. Uh, you can wipe out completely what, I have, or what, what is associated with me. Nothing damages the kingdom here. There's so much God has done and is doing. It's replicating like crazy. So I'm not worried about India. But Europe sent world's 90% missionaries 100 years ago. Europe was 15% Christian, practicing Christian in 
1984, when I came to the Lord, it came to full-time ministry. Europe was 7% Christian, down to 7% in 2000. It's less than, it's dropped lower than 2% now. So any community that is less than 2% Christian is considered unreached. So Western Europe is now, from that standpoint of definition, is unreached land. The United States, Burner Services, 58 years and above Americans have 65% believers in Christ. But 10 to 20 years of age group has only 4% believers. So the young, in young America doesn't know Christ. It's only 4% Christian, which means 96% of young America is not Christian. And Amer what America doesn't, feel, doesn't understand is America is a mission field now, mission field of Buddhism, mission field of Islam, mission field of Hinduism. All these religions are in there as a mission to establish their kingdom in the United States. So U.S. is a mission to make. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you have, why not spread the word via social media or uh, hop on uh, your podcast provider and leave a review. It really helps. This has been Steve Addison for The Movements Podcast.